If you would, remain standing, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Sorry, Luke chapter 1. I knew my tab was in the wrong place. Luke 1, uh, verse 26. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, open our eyes and our hearts to your word that we would see wonderful things. Again, Lord, we need ears to hear. We need hearts that will understand and receive. Would you take your word and do its good work in each of our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, this is a familiar passage at Christmas. And one of the challenges of preaching through the Advent season is that the story is just very familiar. And you're challenged or maybe tempted to try and get creative, uh, to come up with something that hasn't been done. But as Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. Um, But I am going to do something maybe a little different than what you might expect. In this passage, the focus is typically on Mary, the one with whom God found favor. That word really is best, better translated grace. The idea was not that Mary was special or that Mary had done something, but God simply showed her grace. He chose her, not because she was uh, unique, but he had set her apart because he loved her and he chose her to be the mother of the Son of God. Well, The grace continues to flow through the verse, and I want to focus instead on the angel's announcement that Christ came as king. So we focused on different names of Jesus through the Advent season, and you you knew this was coming, right? We did prophet, we did priest, so the next one, of course, is king, and that's what we're looking at today. We want to focus on the role of Jesus as king, and this is important to understand because Jesus didn't come to become a king He came as king. He was and is the king of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords. And he came in a way that was unexpected, not what you would think as a king would come. He came as a baby, as a servant. 
He came as one who would lay down his life and die. And this is just not simply what we would, we would expect. It's not the way a king should come. But it was the way that was foretold through the prophet Isaiah. So many of Isaiah's prophecies focus on the coming Messiah. But the one in chapter 53, where it speaks of his suffering, is especially insightful. Isaiah writes, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. It was through his humility, then, that the glory of his grace would shine through and become known. The glory of the gospel, what we celebrate in the good news. It's not just the coming of the king, it's what the king came to do. That he would be lifted up then, and exalted. And this is, of course, what Paul captures in the opening words of the second chapter of Philippians, saying that he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So today let's consider how the angel describes the king. I want to focus particularly on verses 32 and 33 in our text. The king that was foretold Again, by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means, of course, God with us. God came to live among us. So look in verse 32, and we see that after the angel gave the name that he was to be called, his name will be called Jesus. He goes on to say, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. In the, uh, if we go back and we look in another passage of Isaiah, we see, uh, instead of this suffering component, we see the exalted component. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. This is backwards from what we would think. I mean, a great one like this should come in greatness, right? You describe someone like this and you expect a parade, you expect a a triumphal kind of thing to announce this king is coming. And yet God puts His glory on display in and through the birth of His Son who puts on flesh and shows weakness coming in as a baby. He will be called the Son of the Most High, Gabriel announced. This title for God, the Most High, we see throughout the Old Testament. And the first time, interestingly enough, the first time we see it is in Genesis 14 in the account with Melchizedek. And you remember we talked about him a little bit last week that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. 
In Genesis 14, 18, we read in Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And then this title is used in a number of places. Jesus came as our priest, but he came not in the line of earthly priests. You remember, he wasn't in the line of Aaron. He wasn't of the tribe of Levi. He was born in the tribe of Judah because he was a priest in the order of Melchizedek. His priesthood was established in heaven. It wasn't earthly. It's where he ministers now. This is because Jesus is the Son of the Most High. He sits at the right hand of the Most High. Daniel expresses this, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. The baby born to Mary is the King of Kings, the Great One, the Son of the Most High. Moving on in verse 32, we see that He's going to reign on the throne of David forever. You remember God promised this to David. He promised that he would establish his throne and that it would endure forever. In 2 Samuel 7, he says to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The immediate fulfillment of this, of course, was in David's son, Solomon. But as with most prophecy, there is both the immediate fulfillment and the far-off fulfillment. You have to get up from the 30,000-foot view to see of what's coming off. It's the way that prophecy has to be understood. And sure, Solomon built the house. He built the temple. But Solomon died. He didn't endure forever. The earthly kingdom of Israel, in fact, was going to come to an end as everyone was carried off into exile. So how is the kingdom to last forever? Well, the fulfillment would come indeed through David's line. The opening words of Matthew's gospel, the genealogy of Jesus, it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus came to earth born as a son of David. As we sang this morning, The baby to be born to Mary is the Lord's anointed, great David's greater son. He fulfills that promise. And then in verse 33, his kingdom would last forever because he was the king, the great I am. There will be no end to his kingdom. The words of Jesus recorded in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The only way for the kingdom to last forever was for God himself to come and do this, for God to come as king, and this is exactly what he did. Remember the prophecy back in Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus came and was was born, God with us. And we celebrate this, this at this time of the year and every year at Christmas. And of course, we'll have one more worship service tomorrow at 6 p.m., and that's where we'll focus tomorrow's time on Emmanuel. We'll look at what that name means. So I don't want to unpack that too much now, but let me, let me say this. The, the deity of Christ is essential to our faith. 
When Jesus said, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star in Revelation 22, He was saying, I am the source, I'm the root, and the descendant, I'm the fruit. He is the source of the plan of redemption, and He is the plan of redemption Himself. Jesus came, God in the flesh, born as a baby, to accomplish the plan of redemption. The baby to be born to Mary created Mary and all things, rules over all things, and subjected Himself to His creation to redeem His creation by bringing His kingdom into that creation. The result being a kingdom that will never end. So Jesus as prophet, priest, and king, what we've looked at these last three weeks, with the first two, we can kind of see the benefit, right? As prophet, he came to bring the word. He is the word, the word made flesh. With the the priest, we understand how he ministers and intercedes for us. We saw how he fulfilled the promise through Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak all that I command. And we see the benefit that we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner places behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Prophet and priest, the benefit of what that is to us. But king? I mean, if a king comes, doesn't a king just demand honor? Doesn't a king demand obedience, conformity? Measure up or get out? Isn't that what a king would demand? Not our king. Because our king came worthy to demand measure up or get out. But instead, he fulfilled the fact that we couldn't measure up. So let me suggest the following benefits. Of course, this list could get long, so I'm just going to give you three. But I'll give you a bonus. We said three other ones that I chose not to to do this morning in our reading. What is the benefit of Christ as we read from the catechism, right? Here are three benefits. Jesus came as a servant king. This is the first one. Jesus came as a servant king. Consider the words of Isaiah and foretelling the coming of the Messiah. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong Exalted language, right? Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the the transgressors. He came in humility as a servant. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel when he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Exalted language. And then, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Even though Jesus is king of all, he comes not to us as a tyrant king, but as a benevolent and merciful king. He comes as a king to serve and even give up what is rightly his for your sake and for mine. Jesus shows us that in His kingdom, the way to greatness is not the way that mankind seeks greatness or the way that seems to make sense. 
Jesus shows us the upside-down manner of the kingdom of grace when he says, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant first, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus shows us the way to freedom by how he serves, so that we may be free from the tyranny of sin and death and even from the tyranny of self. Secondly, Jesus shares his royal inheritance with us. He comes as a servant king. He also comes and shares his inheritance with us. Even though he was king of all, Jesus came in human form to accomplish the redemptive plan of the covenant of grace. Remember how Gabriel told Mary, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Paul describes the Father's approval of him in the first chapter of Ephesians where he says, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So now we, the church, his body, get to share in that inheritance. I mean, this is pure grace. It would be one thing for him to have saved us. It would be one thing for him to have adopted us. But to give us the inheritance as well. I mean, this is you know, just layer upon layer of mercy. Paul's letter to Titus, he said, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Royalty is yours in Christ. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And guess what? You don't have to maintain it because it never was about you. It's all grace. The pressure's off. It's the free gift of God in Christ. You who are Christ's, in Christ as sons and daughters of the King of Kings get the royal inheritance. And this is what fairy tales are made of. This is what we dream about. This is what the good stories are all about. Everything our hearts long for is fulfilled in Christ. No satisfaction that you have ever known in this life will compare to the all-surpassing satisfaction and fulfillment that we will know in King Jesus. Third, Jesus gives us His victory as King of all. You may be struggling with fear, with loneliness, with regret, shame, anger, bitterness, fill in the blank. You may feel defeated and without hope. But take this to heart. The baby born to Mary is king of all. He is seated at the right hand of the Most High. And He is the Son in whom the Father is well pleased. And because of Jesus, 
we can ask with Paul, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. His victory is ours, a gift of His grace, that in Him we are more than conquerors. So the coming of Jesus that we celebrate at this and every other Advent season is indeed a royal occasion. But it's not like, you know, when we have earthly royal stuff. Some people get into that maybe more than others. But I mean, if you think about it, it's something that is so far detached and removed. I mean, we watch it on a screen and an hour later or a day later, we've forgotten about it because it really doesn't change us. These experiences are ones that may be exciting, but they don't affect us. But this royal occasion is one that does affect every single person because we either receive him as king or we reject him as king. C.S. Lewis would argue that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or who he says he is, the king of kings and lord of lords. All of Scripture points to Jesus, from the tiniest seeds of prophecy to the ones that, that explain what was going to happen, the ones that we love to quote, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be a descendant of David, that he would suffer and die at the hands of men, that he would be pierced and wounded to carry our sins. All of Scripture points to Christ. So if you have not fallen on the mercy of this benevolent king, let me say to you, you have no means of saving yourself. Your good works are not enough. Your best intentions won't save you. Only the one, this one, Jesus, who came as a baby and reigns as king, has satisfied the righteous requirement on your behalf. Come to him in faith today. For you who know King Jesus and trust Him as King, hear this. You are a child of the King. Remember that. Repeat it to yourself. Remind yourself who you are. Bought at a price the blood of our Savior. Isaiah says, You are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. The words of God. You are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. Isaiah 43.4 Isaiah 62.4 For the Lord delights in you. The psalmist writes, For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. And my favorite, Zephaniah. This King born to us, God in the flesh, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. 
He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is our King. King Jesus, let's pray. Lord, we, um, we, we ask with Mary, how, how can this be? We hear these words and we know this beautiful truth of the gospel and yet we still wonder, how can it be true? How can you exult over us? How can you take pleasure in us? How can you delight in us? Because inside of our hearts, we know who we really are. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Because it is in Him that you delight. And because He has come and stood in our place, you now delight in us. An incredible thing. Would you cause our hearts to grasp and understand it a little bit more today? And would you cause us to rejoice in Jesus our King? To Him be the praise and the glory forever and ever.